the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Welcome to Healthcare Now with your hosts, Larry Jones and Dr. Mark Shayat. Want to become an educated healthcare consumer? Then join our discussion about all things healthcare and understand how to navigate our complex U.S. healthcare system. Now, let's join our hosts in the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now, and thanks for joining us today. This is Dr. Mark. I'm here with Larry Jones, and we're going to talk about all things healthcare. Larry, I think we got a good and busy day for us. We do, Dr. Mark. Good to be with you again. Indeed, indeed. Nice, nice week that we're having. So let's uh, let's proceed, Larry. Yep. Well, let me uh, say something. Yesterday was National Doctors' Day, Dr. Mark. That's true. And as you being a, a, a physician and now dean of a physician college, uh, I want to thank you. For all the years that you've been caring for people in America, but let me let me read a letter that I thought was really cool. Okay, the senior vice president and chief medical officer of Cigna mm-hmm. sent this letter out to doctors all over America. And let me—it's going to take me a minute, but let me read just a few paragraphs. Okay, in honor of Doc, National Doctors' Day, March thirtieth. We would like to personally recognize and thank you, a physician, for the many contributions you made as doctors. Even though the past two years have been uniquely challenging, doctors have continued to adapt and recalibrate while relentlessly leading the push for scientific advancement and always advocating for their patients. At the core of what doctors are, and as you have continued to do this through the pandemic, uh, is to remain the single most important connection between a patient and you. Wow. That's, those are nice words. Those I thought nice that words. was excellent, Dr. Well, Mark. I want to thank you, and I want to mm-hmm. say, as my wife says, she thought every day was Doctor's Day. <laughs> At least that's that's how we behave sometimes. Well, she should think that. Yep, and <laughs> and most importantly, a thanks to all the healthcare professionals that, yep. that give their, their yep. lives to save lives every day. Absolutely. Uh, the pandemic has been an extremely challenging yes. issue, but honestly, just day after day, every day. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, I think we've all had exposure to the healthcare system and more than anything, we talk about technology and we talk about money and insurance, yep. but the most important thing and the thing that you walk away from is your personal experience, patient physician relationship or patient, yep. just patient healthcare. Yeah. The person, healthcare. the person yep. who mm-hmm. answers the phone, who welcomes you in the office, right, right. you know, every, everybody really, really changes what an individual thinks about their healthcare. Yep. And as long as that's a positive kind of experience, yep. they're more likely to to engage in, in sure. taking care of themselves. Sure. So, but but thanks, Larry. That's well, a really nice. But let nice me thing. let me throw out a couple stats because I think yeah. we need to continue to talk about this for a few minutes. According to Wikipedia, there are just under a million physicians practicing in the U.S. today. Got it. Nine hundred eighty-five thousand, and about a third of those, around two hundred and fifty thousand of them, are primary care physicians. Okay. And as you know, that's the key to yeah. good health care. And we talk about that all the right, time that, for that our physicians. Sure. And, but there were, was another interesting stat. In 2020, which is the latest reported, it was reported there were 32 physicians for every 10,000 population in America. 
Okay. And that's up from 20 physicians per 10,000 in 1975. All right. And you brought up a very good point. That's a 2020 number. Yeah. I wonder what it is in 2022 no, due to I, the pandemic. Yeah, there, there have been lots of retirements yeah. and people looking at other things. No question that it's a change, but that's like three per thousand. Yeah. Do and you so, think the number's down, Dr. Mark? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, we looked at numbers for the residency match um, over the last four years, and there's been a steady but small increase in residency positions and, and medical students looking towards the match. Okay. So we see that there is still an, a, a growth rate on that end, but we're also mm-hmm. seeing a expansion of early retirement on the other end. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, you're looking at about one doctor for every 300 people and understand right. that since a third of those of that right. one, so uh, right. is actually primary care because mm-hmm. everybody needs a primary care doc. And what would you say the average number of charts that are, let's just talk primary right. care because specialists would be all over the board right. that would normally have in a practice 3,000 charts? Yes. yes. Okay. I, I mean, that, and that's that like, like looking yeah. at a pediatrician, three to 5,000 yeah, exactly. charts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and they have to see how they define primary care because obviously internal medicine, family medicine, always consider yeah. primary and general care. general medicine. Yeah. Um, and then some groups consider pediatrics primary care when they make the list yes certainly when you yes. look at pediatrics you know that but but there are many lists that leave that yes. off yes and then the other OBGYN yeah. um, is is uh, often yeah. acts as primary care for uh, people who see them in so, both so of it, our I, could, I don't know what this number looks at but yeah. it wouldn't change it a lot okay in both of, and you you hit on something there in both of our big value-based contracts with two large payers they do consider uh, yes, pediatrics as primary care and OBGYN, and well, one of them, one of them, uh, does. One of them does, the other one doesn't. So that that yeah. is interesting. Yeah. So did, mm-hmm. we we should probably investigate that. Like, mm-hmm. what is the difference on the insurance yeah. side? And you can see how it can get a little confusing because OBGYN right. does a lot of procedural things. Yeah. And well, but, let me let me kind of in mm-hmm. fact, we've actually had some issues with the one that does assume OBGYN as primary care because if a patient. Uh, a female goes to an also OBGYN, has primary care. Yeah. yeah, and has a primary care physician. Who is that patient attributed to, and how do you close those yeah. care gaps to make sure that that quality is there? Yeah, you would think that would be it's a good been a problem. problem. No, yeah. you think it'd be yeah. a good problem because yeah. that would be a double yeah. check. Yeah. But for what we're looking at, it has to be the mathematics yeah. has to be or the exactly. accounting has to be exactly right. Exactly. No, that's yeah. that's interesting. You know, yeah. I haven't really thought about that. So we, we should we should bring that up with the insurers on on how and why they choose to do one way yeah. or the other. Yeah. But uh, but the stats are thanks for those. Okay. They're yep. really kind of interesting because you don't really think about a million docs, mm-hmm. um, and then we look at you know what that new rate's going to look like. One of the things on the workforce is there's a mm-hmm. prediction out there uh, that for every current physician that retires to replace that physician. We're looking at three docs. That's right. We remember we talked right. about that yeah. a few weeks ago on right. our show, and and I think that's a very real concern, yep. and because we don't see the influx growing as quickly as outgoing, mm-hmm. certainly not three times the retirement rate, right. which is what you need. That's right. You know, but well, let me ask you this, Doctor Mark, being the dean of uh, Florida State uh, College of Medicine, are you seeing more physicians that are coming out of residency wanting to be? Family practice, internal medicine, or specialists? Now it's well. It's about forty-four uh, percent family practice, internal medicine. Okay. 
So uh, that's which, higher than the average hi- well, national hi- number. Well, now. it's higher than that thirty yeah, percent. Yeah, but but it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed uh, it's, and it's pretty okay. it's pretty steady, okay. college to college. Yeah, I mean FSU's always had the uh, philosophy of trying to build the, the physicians that the state requires. Right, and when FSU started, that was definitely a primary care issue in underserved areas. You really need your primary mm-hmm. care. You could have a specialist that was sixty miles away, right. but you need your primary care right. more locally. So the the uh, statutes that sort of set the whole thing up referred to that, you know, filling that gap. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, when we look at who our students, you, know, you have to practice the kind of medicine that you want to. I mean, if you're going right, to be, right. you have to enjoy that. Exactly, it's hard work. Yeah. It's hard to get there, and so you can't really say, you know, out of out of high school. What you're going to be exactly so so we see that the the residency placement pretty pretty similar year okay. over year and one of the I think one of the fallacies in the numbers is hospitalists right do, are not considered primary yeah. care and, and they're and they're really an extension care. of primary care absolutely yeah but they don't they don't do, if we're yeah. going to define it yeah. by who can yeah. charge for an annual visit yeah. Explain what a hospitalist our listeners in case they didn't hear that before. So the majority of hospitalists, it started out like the majority of them were internal medicine or family medicine, and they were doctors who worked at the hospital, sometimes for the hospital, sometimes in groups and That's contracted. Right. That's right. And when a patient was admitted to the hospital, they became the, the captain of the ship right. and, and admitted the patient because that patient's primary care physician makes his living in the office. Doesn't make rounds right. anymore. That's right. And if he's got to come in, he or she has to come into the I'm sorry to the hospital to see a patient which was unexpectedly admitted to the hospital, mm-hmm. then they're not seeing patients in the office. Now, in the good old days, if we will, uh, I mean that's how it happened. Right. You know, the doctor followed you all the way through. Oh yeah. But sure. the economics and the time of that, it just doesn't work. Right. And that goes back to you know what reimbursements look like per patient for a physician. Right. So you've got these hospitalists. Now it's grown because now you've got hospitalists for medicine, you've got hospitalists in pediatrics, right. you have laborists who are OBGYNs who work mm-hmm. at or for the hospital and just deliver children. So you may, you know, you you may be seeing your OBGYN at their office, but when you go into labor right. and you go to the hospital, that may not be who takes care of you. I got you. Yep. And the thought there and is And they also uh decide the consults and the specialists sure. who get involved with that patient. Right, they're the captain. Yep. They're the they're ones the that says, of the ship. Yep. says, you know, you know, we think you need to see a cardiologist. Right. Now that's therein lies a bit of the problem with the model, because you have someone who is not familiar with the patient, who just meets exactly. them. Exactly. And the tendency would be to say, you know, we think we know what's going on, but we better be sure. Right. And so so that idea, and I think the insurance companies would back me up on this and say that the idea that they're going to consult more than if your primary care doctor said, I know they no, would no, back no. you up on that. He's got, he's got a little yeah. reflux. Yeah. That's all that is. Yeah. We don't need to work that up any further. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so these things get yeah. repeated. You get tests that are done that aren't necessary. And, Absolutely. You know, so it's, it, it'll be – but as, as it grows, though, there are even physicians – that are hospitalists like surgeons. Yes. And so that's another piece. Yep. So the idea becomes now those. Well, you have pediatric hospitalists. Yep. 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 I mentioned that. For kids. Yep. Sure. Yep. So, yep. so you've got, you've got that growing need and Larry, I mean, you can say why, you know, why this is, it's a hundred percent economic. No question. And it's, yep. it's all about yep. reimbursements going down, yep. down and down. And in fact, uh, to speak to that directly, primary care physicians, when they make hospital rounds, they don't get paid for it. Nope. 
Yep. And at one time, years and years ago, they did get paid for it. No, and, this, and the groups that succeed, you know what they're really great at? What's Billing. That? They're really great at yes. coding. Yes. They're, they're, they're making sure that they're following the coding process of the admission or if they have an extended, extended console. And so right. it, it, it really right. is, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. It, it doesn't feel like anything that you train for in residency. Right, right. But, but it's, it has to happen because physicians are finding that with the reimbursement levels, they, they can't be interrupted in their hospital schedule right, right. because they have to see more patients per day than they ever have. Yeah, well, you know, when you talk about having discussion with the payers, the payers will tell you in a heartbeat that hospitalists, on average, refer f- four to five consults for every patient. That's crazy. I know, and th- but that is the average and, and those, today. And those are yeah. each one of those yeah. consults yeah. are billable. Yes, they're co- they're for sure coded because yep. that yep. consult drives in patient in. cost up. Yeah. So, and then when you you worry about groups that are all employed by the same entity, right? And there may be some actual encouragement to make sure right. everybody on the team gets to visit this patient, right? So that that's something that is the complete opposite of the original HMOs, right? Where you had a gatekeeper right. who said, "Okay, we're not just going to consult, you know, do that shotgun approach and, and consult everybody we can think of. We're going to be specific, and we're going to make sure that." You can't just go and see your cardiologist and have him right. order some x-rays. That's right. It has to bounce back around through your primary That's care. Right. So we need to find a balance because that wasn't great either. Yeah. No, you know? it wasn't. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. Our website is healthcarenow.us. You can email us at follow us at healthcarenow.us. But Dr. Mark will be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Take The Answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion on the go. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. This is Dr. Mark with Healthcare Now. I'm here with Larry Jones to talk about all things healthcare. Now, we had a nice little conversation before. We talked a little bit about the hospitalists and, yep. and Doctor's Day. Thanks yes. again. Yes. And happy Doctor's Day to all. You, do you know, actually, the two local hospitals actually made it Doctor's Week. Which, really? Which I would say is a little exorbitant, but when I, I actually talked to the leadership at these hospitals just to make a little joke about mm-hmm. it, like, you know, it's bad enough that when we have Doctor's Day, people talk about, you know, it's always your day. Right. Uh, and, the, and apparently the Doctor's Week is that these hospitals, we talked last week about how there was so much expansion mm-hmm. in Orlando, mm-hmm. and they said they just couldn't recognize 
all the hospitals and all the campuses in one day. In one day. Yeah. So they spread it over a week's time, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are not going to be any banners at my house. But uh, yeah. but we, it was, it was kind of interesting if you think about the logistics of how that all happens. Sure. Well, you know, that makes sense because you don't have nurses day. You have nurses week. I know, but that's always been the thing is that the doctors right. only, that's we right. only really, really only need a day. One day. Yeah. Right. I, and I'm okay with the day. I mean, we, we don't make too big a deal of it, but, right. but yeah, so that was interesting. Good, good conversation. Really want to follow up with the insurance companies about that OBGYN yes. primary care versus absolutely. not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It right. does create some care gap problems. Yep. Absolutely. You know. Yep. All right, Larry. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we haven't had a huge amount of COVID news, which no. is always great. Yep. But there was something important this week. Uh, the FDA okays another dose for uh, Pfizer and yes. Moderna, mm-hmm. uh, so a fourth dose for those two, uh, or a second booster, if you will, right. for those 50 and up, yes. five zero and up. Yeah, originally the FDA had cleared these fourth doses only for people 12 and older who had severely weakened immune yes. systems. Yep. And so and now, now they've now made that next jump. They've done it. And it's yeah. funny, I was just kind of thinking about that because now for me – you and I both had our very first shot, like in the in the in the first few days, early in the year. Yep. 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 So you know, right when it came out, I so, think you had yours in December, even. Yeah. I had mine in January, January and February, right. and then the booster in August. Right. So yep. so we're if there is a a thing such as due for a, another booster, we would fall in that category. Yes. And so I'm just kind of you know yeah. well actually thinking about the that. booster and they indicated. After four months of having the prior boost. Oh, I'm sure it's been four months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll have to, have to look back at the dates. But but I don't know where the data is on that. I think, again, it's a risk-reward. And um, I'm feeling like, yeah, I, I feel pretty yeah. comfortable. Go ahead and carrying that out. I haven't had any issues with the primary, yeah. secondary, and, and tertiary shots. So, uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what follows numbers. But I would predict that the number of people, even in that age group, that get a booster is going to be quite yeah. low unless we see another surge. Yeah, well, and, me, and I'm not expecting that. Yeah, let me give you some data. The U.S. health officials looked at the model in Israel that we talk about yep, every now and then, yep. mm-hmm. which during the Omicron surge that they opened a fourth dose to people over 60 years of old, uh, 60 years and at least four months after their shot. Well, the preliminary data suggested that uh, researchers counted 92 deaths among 328,000 people who got that fourth shot, wow. 92 out of 328,000, okay. right. compared to 232 deaths out of 234,000 who skipped the fourth dose. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, that's a and, big and, and it's that's a, like a big four study. times. Yeah, big four study. times the deaths. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yep. so we'll see. Yeah, you know, we'll see how that plays yep. out. Uh, I mean, and... I, I like I like seeing more and more data on this, and, yeah, and we point yeah. to the Israeli data right. because they started from the beginning. That's right. They're using the same vaccines yeah. that we're using, yeah. and I mean it's the it's definitely the right population. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought it was interesting. There was a, a immunologist, Dr. John Wherry, W H E R R Y from UPenn, and he made the comment: there might be a reason to top off the tanks a little bit for older people and those with other health conditions. He says, but I'm going to sit back and wait and see if it's really necessary. I'm, I am kind of there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I don't have any other health issues that, that are of concern. Um, Exposure-wise, I don't, you know, I'm not in a high exposure area anymore. Right, right, and right, right, right. So it's it's right. a tough one. It's yeah. a tough one. But then, but then I flip back to what is the likelihood of having some ill effect 
yeah. after having three rounds of, of exactly. no problems. Exactly. Are, are you yeah. more likely, less likely? And that's mm-hmm. a piece of data that, that I haven't seen. Well, you know, I joked around after you and I had the booster that we were walking antibodies, but uh, with a fourth one, you definitely would be. Yeah, you would think. You would think. <laughs> yeah. Although it's you know it's just strange though. This new vaccine technology. That's really what we're learning about, Larry. Yep. It's it's not that the the COVID virus. It's it's this new vaccine technology, and it's important to understand that because some of the vaccines that we're already taking for other things, whether it's the pneumococcal vaccines or the flu vaccine, I can certainly see them transferring over to this technology if it's tried and true. Right. right and and right. I mean that that's really as important as anything, people today are just looking at this, understandably, right. at, at COVID sure. and saying, sure. you know, what, what do I need next? And, you know, am yeah. I ready to travel? Yeah, well, another one of the uh, CDC reports indicated that during this last Omicron surge and wave, that two doses were nearly 80% effective against vent or death in an ICU. And the boosters pushed that protection from 80 to 94%, where when they saw that after the four months, that the third booster waned to 74% effective weight. Well, the original discussion on mm-hmm. that third dose mm-hmm. for, for Omicron was that it wasn't that as effective. It was still effective, right. but not as effective right. as that second dose. And I just don't know that you can compare dose to dose, understanding that the first two are really the first treatment. Right. So exactly. having, having just exactly. one of the first yeah. two, whether it was Johnson and Johnson, which was supposed to be just a single dose right. or right. or it was Pfizer. And so, th- so I think that that kind of threw through a wrench in things. Right. Yep. I mean, it kind of confused stuff. So yep. so I don't know that that was the flip because I was starting to think, see, it's not going to be good if the reality becomes that, you know, it becomes less and less effective because of the specific virus. Right. So is this a virus issue or is this an antibody yeah. issue, which would mean a vaccine issue? Right. And, right. you know, they they keep talking about, well, in the fall of this year, late 2022, then you're going to need a booster that would t- coincide with the vi- uh, fl- influenza shot. Well, yeah. I mean, so well, that's a booster what you're talking that. about. Well, but that, yeah. I mean, the, the influenza shot is different. In that, you know, this year, right, uh, the right. shot was very ineffective, yep. but not because of the style of that. It was because right. the variety of influenza that was going around wasn't right. the one right. that was in the right. trivalent right. shot. So we basically didn't get immunized against what we were looking at. Exactly. It would be like getting a, a, a vaccination for the COVID-19 Omicron uh, and but but getting the flu shot to try to prevent that. And that's not that's not how that's going to work. Exactly. So so we have to we have, have to continue to follow the data and see see where it all goes. And but, again, we don't want to discourage anyone if they feel they need the fourth booster. Go get it. Well, yeah. well, I think it's yeah. all everything that is printed yeah. is all based on risk. Right. And so at 50 and older, and I'm just kind of surprised they didn't go to 65. Me too. And and just say yeah. 65 because that's yeah. that's yeah. been the highest risk group since exactly. day one. Right. But at 50 and older. Uh, and it, and it may be that it's because the risk of the vaccine itself is right. is low enough in that right. fifty to sixty five that it's like well we might as well cover more of the population but you know it's it's I don't know there's there's going to be more and more and more numbers for us to uh, sift through and exactly. hopefully we'll uh, do a good job explaining it to our listeners yep. as soon as we can uh, convince ourselves of where where we're headed with this we're still at under seventy percent fully vaccinated in America. We are, but yeah. then if you add in the people who have actually had COVID, that gets us over the 70. It does. It yeah. do, does it get us to 
what we expect that we need, which is now more like a mid to high yeah. 80s. Yeah. Well, I, I just don't think there's any way to know because now know. with home testing, we've got a lot of people that are exposed that never get a test. I've had two travelers that mm-hmm. both on their way back, one actually on the way back from India and, and another one that was a, a little, little closer by mm-hmm. um, who, were, who tested positive okay. uh, and on, on the quick test. And then they had to start okay. making plans to not get on a plane, but wow. then their PCR test came back negative. Interesting. So, so what do you do? I mean, yeah. So, I mean, exactly. I think it's still, well, it's a, it's a screening process. I don't think it doesn't make any sense for everybody yep. to get a PCR and then wait the two days or however long, you know, depending yep. on where you are to get that answer. Yep. Yep. Cause if you get a negative on your quick test, you right. get on the plane. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's going to, it's going to be with us for a while or oh, that kind of process, yeah. especially with international well, you travel. Know, it's interesting too, that you're talking about uh, airplanes mm-hmm. just this past couple of weeks, not only the airlines, but this week, the cruise lines have kind of dropped their COVID mandates. Really? Yeah. So, so that was a big deal just here in, in Florida. Oh, I mean, that went to we the Supreme huge Court, right? Cruises, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. but and our governor was was screaming that you could not say right. they had that's to be right. vaccinated. That's right. That's right. So that's interesting. Actually, yeah. I didn't know that. Larry. Yeah, they, yeah, they just announced on the cruise thing. I think yesterday. Mm. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Well, that that is that is interesting, and and I, I wonder what the uh, cruise line numbers are looking like. I think they're quite down. Oh sure they are. Yeah, sure they are. I mean, I think there are a lot of boats that yeah. aren't sailing, but I just wonder yeah. wonder where they uh Although where they I are. will tell you that new uh uh cruise ship that's out at Cape Canaveral. Yep. It just sailed this past week and I think it holds like 6,000 people. Wow. I saw it because you wow. can see it when we're over in our our yeah. place over there. Yeah, yeah. We're right there at the cruise line and that that 6, ship 000. is gigantic. Man. That's a lot of peeps in a boat. It was huge. I bet. I bet. I think they call it the Mardi Gras. Oh, is it? Is it Carnival? Yeah. Uh, Carnival Mardi Gras. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. Gee, that six. So that's never 6, seen a ship that, that, that must big. be including the crew, right? I think it was sixteen or seventeen floors. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know if you're going to get me on a boat anytime soon. I know. I know. No, I'm not ready to go on a cruise yet. But there are a lot of people that are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, uh, Larry, what else have we got here? I'm not sure uh, how much time we got to go till yeah, break. We got a couple minutes. Uh, let's let's you know we've talked about Alzheimer's and uh, Adahelm. Yeah, uh, there was an article in the Orlando Sentinel the other day that Alzheimer's will increase 24 percent in Florida by 2025. Doctor Mark, that's only three short years. So why are we thinking that? I mean, is they're just they're just tracking numbers. It's gone up. Every year since since we've been tracking it, or well, I, mean, I think uh, well, evidently Florida has the second largest number of Alzheimer's patients in the country, next to California. Well, I mean, as a well, yeah. we're, obviously, we're, yeah, so. obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we're we're yeah. we're one of the yeah. one of the top yeah. four largest yeah. countries, and then if you yeah. look at our our age stratification, yeah. I'm certain that we're uh, we're in the well. Let me give you another number that I thought was interesting: Brevard, Orange, Osceola, and Seminole counties predicted that they had almost 53,000 Alzheimer's patients hmm. in our four-county central Florida area. Wow. And that that's a lot of patients. It is. It is. And and we haven't there haven't been any answers. I do yeah. feel like the progress with Aldehelm, you know, even though it's not being used the way the company would like it to be used, yeah. I think the progress that there's a monoclonal out there is a game changer. And that it other is. companies are just working on night and day, yeah. trying to get to the next best thing, coming come yeah. up with something that's cost effective. But you know, we talk about mm-hmm. the availability of for a Medicare patient, 
yes. being only if they're in a study. That's Larry, right. yeah. do you well, know that's how the they get in the yeah. studies? I mean, um, have you? Have I, I was going to well, talk about that. I yeah. actually have somebody I'd like to see if I can yeah, let me, get involved. Let me mention, yeah, and it was estimated that there are 360 geriatric physicians in the state of Florida today. 360 and geriatric boarded physicians. No, I've got to be more than that. That's what it says. Wow. 362 geriatric physicians in Florida, which is not enough to treat the current number of patients. Well, I, I do want to tell you that yeah. there are a number of geriatricians, and just for our listeners, if it's not yeah. familiar with that term, mm-hmm. so that's folks that specialize in the elderly population. Yeah. Over age 65. Over age 65. Yep. But there are as many that are not boarded but they're considered geriatricians if that's what they do in their practice. And it makes perfect sense because if you're an internal medicine doctor or a family practice doctor and you have developed your practice into a 65 and older practice, you are a geriatrician. So I wouldn't worry too much about – because 360 is a hugely low number. But let me tell you where the issue was with this article. Uh, Of the 362 geriatric physicians, they said that that number needs to triple by 2025 – or 2030, if we're going to have enough uh, elderly physicians uh, to treat elderly people. But the problem is 50% of primary care physicians indicated in a survey that they were not comfortable treating geriatric care. Well, I don't. I don't know. I. Yeah. I mean, I work with these folks every day. Right. The, my, right, fa- right, my faculty, right. and so the the primary care faculty will tell you that mm-hmm. that you know if you're in family practice. You're taking care of all you, you're trained. You're yeah. trained to take care of the babies all the yeah. way to the geriatrics. Okay, yeah. they call it cradle to grave. Cradle to grave. Right? That's right. That's but right. the reality right. is, most family practice docs in a big city like ours mm-hmm. are going to focus on one side or the other. Right. But we got to go to break. We, okay. we can pick back up on this when we okay. uh, come back. You're listening to Healthcare Now: The Truth About U.S. Healthcare. Our website is healthcarenow.us. You can email us at follow us at healthcarenow.us. But Dr. Mark will be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now: The Truth About U.S. Healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Take The Answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion, on the go. AM 950, FM 94.9. The answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Hi, you're back with Dr. Mark and Larry Jones on Healthcare Now. Larry, we walked away talking about Alzheimer's, and um, I think there's a little bit more to talk about there. So the number, the scary number was the number of geriatricians in, in our state. And, and it's kind of a, it's a stats game. 
I don't doubt that we need more people that are interested in doing this, but it's not going to be a call for everybody to get their boards and geriatrics. It's going to be a call for internal medicine doctors that are taking care of patients who, guess what? They get older every year, right? And so you're going to see that drift. So I'm not Mm -hmm. as worried about that kind of coverage, but what I am worried about is what is the goal when we're talking about Alzheimer's? Yeah, well, it's not just... uh, Curing it, yeah. It's not cure because it's not curable. Right, right. But what it is about is uh, providing and training caregivers to take care of these people for a good quality of life. Right, good quality of life. Yeah. And and it's always, every study measures, like, if you can slow the progression of the Alzheimer's. So the longer you can keep somebody at an early stage... The biggest, the win, right? Right, right. And and as long as you can keep them out of those late stages. And so I think that medication is yeah. going to be, there, there's two things. One is going to be early identification. And so yeah. we need great testing to say that, yeah, yeah that's what yeah. this is, yeah. right? And then, yeah. and I think, you know, you're going to look well, at family identification. history. I mean, you and I have both been through this with family members. Sure, sure. My, my dad it was hard had, to figure it out. My dad and my mother-in-law, we, we took care of them for 10 years. Yep, yep. Yeah, and it, yeah. And it was, you yeah. know, the, like early yeah. on, yeah. the only way to prove it was a brain biopsy, which was done after right. somebody passed away, right? Right. So now our MRIs are giving us much better hints. Right. But even to go to that extent, yeah. I, I feel as though we're going to be seeing a way to identify Alzheimer's. Yep. in a non-invasive test, I mean, MR is yeah, non-invasive, yeah. and and be able to, to get it at more at a time the when... The clinical side. Yeah, when, yeah. when a monoclonal might yeah. actually stave it off yeah. for a really long time, as yeah. opposed to, okay, let's say you're at a functional capacity of at 80%, of, right, of, right, and, right. and if I can, you know, your doctor can hold you there at that 80% for years, yeah. right. then that's a win. Right. Uh, you but know, you're still gonna you're still gonna see some drift right. yep. unless unless the whole well, way this is thought about changes. Yeah, well, you know, you talk about early identification. I don't mind sharing this personal story. My dad uh, was in his early nineties mm-hmm. and still living alone. Yep. He calls me up one day and he says, "Son, I don't think I can live alone anymore." Right. And that was the day after he had gone to the store, drove to the store, and ended up in his church parking lot because he couldn't figure out how to get home. Yep. And and so at ninety, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't yeah. classify as Alzheimer's, right? Right. right. So that's just senile dementia. Um, and is there something that we can? Is the process completely different, similar? Yeah, yeah. And how do we do that? Because I mean, that's we, we talk about cancer deaths and trauma deaths and COVID deaths, yeah. but the reality for many many of of our our families is looking mm-hmm. at exactly that when the quality of life. For someone who's exactly. physically quite active, yep. drops out, you know, is there a way to address and that? And he was very active up until the last three or four years that he lived. He lived being 94 and a half. Right. And, and, and you know, I would say, wow, what a, you know, uh, people Incredible say that all along. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I, you, you wonder looking, you know, 100 years forward, is 94 going to seem young? Probably. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe. You know, there, there are you people out know. there that, that believe but, it. But, but I think the interesting part is, once we realized that his short-term memory was going downhill, uh, we began, he moved in with us, right. and we began to see over the next couple of years that certain things deteriorated more than others. Yeah, yeah. You know, he could still take care of himself. Well, be, even you know. being alone can accelerate that that loss not having the stimulation around you and whatnot so so being with family you know and and being 
that during that active yeah. periods of time during the yeah. day, that that can be of help all by right. itself, especially when we're not talking about Alzheimer's, but just talking about yeah. Yeah. senile dementia. Yeah. So. And then on the other side, to contrast what we went through with my dad, my mother-in-law, she was in a memory unit for 11 years. Mm. And finally passed away right. of you know full blown Alzheimer's. Full blown Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. I tell you. Well, let's. I don't know if we can leave that sad topic and talk yeah. about uh, talk about Medicaid. Well, you know, <laughs> let's, let's go. Well, let's too. talk. But but go back in just a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned how do people get into this at a yeah. trial? Yes. The, yeah. The yeah. St- and again, studies, yeah. Uh, that was part of the problem. Uh, with this article, that people that need the Alzheimer's and want to try it and are wor- you know willing to risk the the yeah, risk, the downside, yeah. yeah, the downside, they couldn't get into a test. No, couldn't get into a trial. Couldn't get into a trial. There aren't enough trials out there. Interesting. And right now, if you remember, they pulled Adaham off the market, mm-hmm. and the only way you can get the drug now is if you're is a in trial, a, is sure. in a, tri- a clinical yeah. trial. Now, is that true just for medic Medicare, or is that? Period. Is that an FDA? Well, if you remember, I mean, the insurance companies and some of the large health systems says we're not going to administer that drug. Yep. yep. And they're not going to pay for it. Yep. So, so, so I would say the it's across the board. Even yeah, the commercials yeah, are playing yeah, that game. Yeah, yep. I think so. So, yeah. So we'll we'll see. But I, that is that. I mean, I guess it depends on how much data is being is enough data being collected quickly enough. Yeah. And if not, yeah. that means you know that we need that yeah. we need more trials. Yeah. Okay. But and, there's and no shortage of people that would do it, though, I would think. Absolutely not. With the increase, I think it indicated that by 2050, mm-hmm. 50% of America would have Alzheimer's. Yeah, I can't, I can't even talk about numbers that, like that. that I don't know. And that's I mean, you know, 2050, right. I mean, I are won't we, be around are, now, anyway. Are we so. just talking about the politicians? Because I can believe that. Probably. Yeah, okay, that, yeah, that'd yeah, be, that would yeah. be fair. That would be I fair. think that was an HHS statistic. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Okay. Yep. All right, Larry, let's move okay. along here. But uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about Florida suspending Centene's Medicaid enrollment. Yeah. And they find the insurer over tech errors. And I know that you're uh, you're mm-hmm. up on this uh, this am. topic very well. Well, we we actually have contracts. Centene owns mm-hmm. a Medicaid plan here in Florida called Sunshine State Health Plans. Yes. And they also, in the last couple of years, purchased WellCare. Yes, they did. A big Medicare plan. Yep. Well, evidently, uh, Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration just suspended their enrollment of Medicaid in Florida and and find them 9.1 million dollars after they realized that over the last 2 years they have denied over 121,000 claims to the tune of millions and millions just of dollars. Just blanket denials. Just blanket denials. I mean, I can tell you as a provider, yeah. you know all about that. This this yeah. this may this is like the thing that we would we would we'd start talking about and it's not going to happen today because I'm yeah. I'm planning on my blood pressure would literally oh, rise when we yeah. talked about Centene yep. and we talked yep. about the profits yep. Yep. that they were having. Well, they're a $126 billion company and they, and they and paid they, their CEO $25 million a year in salary. Right, right. Remember that? Yeah, I thought it was more. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And But but according to this new state agency uh, fine, they have to pay this fine within 30 days. Mm-hmm. And within 21 days, they have to begin paying all the claims. Yep. Let me let me yeah. retell a story that I I, I know that I've told before. Okay. Right? Good. So so Sunshine came onto the market. Um, there there were a number of Medicaid products out there, yeah. and they sort of replaced one that had faded out because you could only have five of these yep. these eight these uh, yep. Medicare managed Medicaid mm-hmm. entities in your region. Right? That's right. So Sunshine comes in and they put out contracts and they 
flat out said, not negotiating, this is your number. Right. And so, you know, you sort of hear that Which all the time. Which is usually Medicaid yeah. rated 100%. Right. Yep, or, yeah. or less. Yeah, or less. And, That's right. and so, but, you know, as, for specialists, you usually go back and say, listen, there's only a few of us. Blah, blah, blah. We're right. covering a That's huge right. area. That's right. Nothing, zero. So, so my office said, well, we're going to take it because the pediatricians are accepting this, and we need to take care of their patients. Yep. Yep. So so we did that for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, now WellCare has been around for decades. Yep. And WellCare has Well, they respected- were Medicare, and then they had a Stay Well Medicaid plan. Yes. Right, yep. right. Right. So right. so Stay, stay Well specifically. Yeah. So, yep. But they sort of shifted, and they called themselves WellCare in the last few years. That's right. That's uh, right. But, but they worked with physicians, and they negotiated contracts, and they behaved like a typical insurance company. Yeah. Okay. So that was the idea. I had a lot of WellCare and Stay Well product. And then Centene comes in, and they're going to buy Sunshine. That's right. So, which, as I'll remind you, is at a terrible payment rate. That's right. And then they buy WellCare, as you mentioned. That's right. That's and right. so now, but if you have a contract with WellCare, you're okay. Yep. Because even though it was bought by somebody else, you still have a contract. Yep. Well, suddenly patients on WellCare would come in to check their insurance. Yep. And they were no longer covered. Aside from the back, fact that a Medicaid member can change health plans every, every 30 month. days. Yep, every month. That's right. right. They have to re-up That's every 30 days. That's a whole different right. discussion. So, so what Centene had done mm-hmm. is said, all right, we can't change these contracts. So what we're going to do is we'll buy WellCare, we'll cancel all of their participants, and then we'll enroll them in Sunshine because right. we just spent the last five years or so getting – crappy contracts to all the physicians on sunshine exactly Exactly. and i I mean i've heard about a couple of physicians that that aren't as upset about sunshine but that dropped payments to the tune of 50 percent for a lot of specialists i know you and and i discussed that at length and the numbers the numbers were not small because because wellcare was the largest group in the state yeah well let me give you some background centene purchased wellcare in 2020 for 17 billion dollars insane $17 $17 billion. Yet, These numbers are crazy, yet, Larry. I know. Yet for two years, they denied 121 million claims to people that needed care. Right. Now, can you imagine if you're on Medicaid and you get balanced bill from a provider or a hospital. Oh, you're not paying that. A, ma- a massive yeah, yeah. bill. But, yeah, but, you but can, think you, of yeah, the you're, stress you're involved of these yeah, families. But that's, that's where this yep. medical debt comes in. That's right. right. That's exactly yep. right. So yeah. how many people's credit were ruined over this? Yep. Well, and when you get a denial, so the denial usually comes to the physician, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's so, right. So, and they can, be, they can be told, yes, we'll cover this. And then you, do the, you see the patient or you do the procedure, right. and then you get a denial. Right. You get these blanket denials. Well, you have to then resubmit. There's usually a reason for the denial. They'll give you a reason, right. and they'll, they'll say, well, we need more information. So now you're going to spend time. And, and what's time, Larry? Time is money. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So every yeah. one of these yeah. offices across the nation mm-hmm. – Spending more money yep. to get less, right? So they're screwing over so many people, and, and, you're and hiring this, and full-time this, people to this deal is with great, in your office. Great that they're getting fined, yeah. But that money isn't going to pay the people no. who are paying people in their office That's to right. resubmit and resubmit, That's or right. you know, and, and some of the some of the processes they don't they don't resubmit. Yeah. They just give it up, especially in in the you know the hospital systems where yeah. they just can't chase the dollar. That's right. That's but right. but yeah, that's it's but again insane. in pediatrics, as you know, Medicaid's a big piece of that. Much yeah. different than in if you're just treating adults, right? But this is yeah. criminal. 
No I mean, question. I mean, you know, this is a civil yeah. suit and a civil, but no yep. one's going to, yep. no one's going to be in an orange jumpsuit for yep. this, but why not? Yeah. I mean, well, just they, they, they really idea. just can't. I'll, Centene is one of the largest Medicaid providers in the country. Oh, for sure. With two and a half million Medicaid lives in 10 states. Mm-hmm. Also, we talk about Florida. Let's talk about California for a minute. Uh-huh. The California regulators receive 47 complaints from providers about Centene and its subsidiaries already this year. Yeah. 90 days. 90 days in. 90 days in. Yeah. No, they're, I mean, they're, they are on, now they're on the radar. Yeah. Right. And and who knows what's what's going to happen. But these companies have generated billions of dollars. I mean, you turn around and buy, one company's yeah. buying another one for $12 billion. Yeah. Just, yeah. just unbelievable. Well, you know, the Centene, uh, Michael Niedorf, who's their CEO, the guy mm-hmm. that makes $25 million a year. Right. He claimed that there were two reasons why. IT and staffing. And so, yet. So lies and lies? I guess so. I yeah, guess that's so. what I'm going to say. We've kind of run out on this one. We'll, we'll bring this back when we, we come back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. Our website is healthcarenow.us. You can email us at followus at healthcarenow.us. But Dr. Mark will be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Take The Answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion, on the go. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Hi, it's Dr. Mark and Larry Jones, and this is Healthcare Now. We left talking about Medicaid and Centene yep. and Florida. And, I, we, we, you know, on the break, we talked a little bit about why these numbers are so important. Exactly. When we started the show, we talked about the $4 trillion that we spend exactly. in healthcare and how that's going to be yep. $8 trillion yep. in, in a blink of an eye. Yep. And one of the areas that that is so ridiculous are these numbers we're talking about, these acquisitions for billions of dollars exactly. for companies that are now being fined millions of dollars for mistreatment. And the reality is all Medicaid in the state of Florida yep. is now third party. Right. It's all contracted right. through management companies like right. Centene, right? right? It's no longer run by the state, run by the government. Right. Right. So the government just pays out a certain amount of money, and these groups are profiting yes. hand over fist. Yes. They pay a capitated rate per member Flat per rate, month. Right? Yep. And so you can look at that. Okay, that's that's sort of what we do when we take risk on something. Exactly. But they have it yeah. down to where they've got control of the purse strings right. and billions of dollars here, Larry. Yep. And so that's why this right. is important well, because, because we've got that system yeah. that was supposed to save money, exactly. but it's 
It's just yeah. making money well, for these groups. Let me give you a couple stats. Just in Florida, 40% of our state budget of over $106 billion goes to Medicaid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then yeah. nationally, there are 84 million people on Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program. And then you add another 14.5 million on the Affordable Care Act. Right. You're looking at almost 100 million yeah. people. Not in Florida. But not yeah, in, yeah, nationally. Yeah, nationally, yeah. You're looking at 100 million people on these government programs. Right. That doesn't even include Medicare with another 63 million. But you've got that. That's a government program. Yep. But then yep. the number of dollars that are changing hands in yep. these managed Medicaid products. Yep. Is in the billions, yep. and and that's the area. Again, we talk about this. Not faulting anybody for making a buck. Capitalistic society, it's a great thing. That's right. But when we look at healthcare, healthcare is different. Everybody that provides healthcare is told from day one, right. this is different. Right. You know, you're going to be a CEO right. of a company, but you're not going to get CEO money. Exactly. You're in healthcare, exactly. and that's a personal thing. You're taking care of people, and you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's well, you know, it's interesting. People talk about well, if half of our Healthcare dollars are in the government, controlled by the government. That's not really true. They're controlled. No, they're, not, yeah. they're managed by the government, right. but they're controlled by private insurance companies. Right, which would be okay if they weren't making so much money. Exactly. Because the money has yep. to come from yep. some – right. you, you know, the state can say, well, we're only – this is what yep. we're paying. Yep. The state budget's this much, and it's no more. Yep. But the money is being drawn out. Yep. And it's coming from people's pockets. Well, if you remember day. a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the seventeen billion dollars in profit that United Healthcare Group made last year. Yeah, yeah, seventeen billion. Yeah, I mean, this this is the cure. I mean, we haven't even started on pharma yet. That's and we, right. We can probably right. drop it by a trillion dollars without a doubt. If, if we can yep. get yep. get get yep. a. Uh, yeah. A, a group together that says, "Yeah, this let's let's do what's right, not what makes us exactly. you know, line the block." But and, you're right, Doctor Mark. That's why it's important for us to talk about these things. It, it is, and and if a CEO is making twenty five million a year, you know, is it really going to be uh, harmful to to cut that in half? That's right. I mean, you know, if he's making a hundred thousand a year, yeah, well, yes. he only needed to do that for one year, and then he didn't need to get paid at <laughs> all right, after that. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not the way that works. Not no. the way that works. Right. Well, we can shift gears a little bit. We were uh, mentioning a really kind of an interesting story that uh, branches across. The, uh, yeah. across the ocean here, yeah. the Cleveland Clinic opens its London hospital. And yeah. this isn't the first hospital they no. have. This well, is the second actually, one, actually uh, they opened a 184-bed hospital on March 29th, just last uh, last couple of days, in the health system second in London following a Cleveland Clinic Portland outpatient center. Oh, okay, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. That was an outpatient center. It was a six-story, 28,000-square-foot outpatient facility that opened in September of 21, which is only a few months ago. Okay. And so, now they've opened this 100. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, it's Portland yeah. Place. It's in Portland in Place. England. Yeah, Portland okay. Place Outpatient Center yep. uh, in the Harley Street Medical Area of London. Right, right. And, so. and, and now they've opened this 184-bed, uh, I think, eight-story hospital uh, in, in uh, central London. Interesting, interesting. And you know so, what? You know what brings to mind on that, Doctor Mark. I do. And we can tell you, you do, don't you? <laughs> I do. I know where uh, this is going. So, so how does the Cleveland Clinic and their facilities operate under a socialized medicine environment in the UK? Well, I tell you, Larry. So, Cleveland Clinic is one of those model institutions that has looked at value based medicine. Yes, has created methods in which they do you know best practice. Yep. 
they particularly they have, in the cardiac yeah. area. Well, yeah, Cardiology. absolutely, but, but really, yeah. but much wider than that. I uh-huh. mean, I think that we talk a lot about a lot of that here in Florida because yep. of the branch Cleveland clinics yeah. that are in Florida. Then we have but, a big but it's Cleveland really, clinic in Weston, yeah, yeah, down yeah, really, South really much yeah. bigger than just that. Yeah, but but what they've done, and 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 you know, there there are other groups that have absolutely done done this, but but they have done a great job at managing healthcare. And when you can manage healthcare well, yep. you can work in a socialized system because you know what you're going to get and you know what yep. it costs. And right. so you, you kind of go in knowing what the outcome is yeah. going to be financially. Well, aren't they so that's why it's considered one of the centers of care in this country? In this country, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, 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 there are probably four major groups right. like Intermountain, right. you know, Kaiser, right. groups that UPenn, have, have, uh, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, UPMC. Yeah. UPMC. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's Penn Med is, is, yeah. is up and coming. Right. UPMC has right. done a great job. Right. And, and what they've done is they are managing expenditures on healthcare. Right. And you know what they haven't done? They haven't tried to pay a CEO $25 million a That's year. That's exactly right. They haven't yeah. denied yeah. claims. They're, they haven't, you know, had all these fines, you know, they're, yep. they are yep. working with a scientific method and looking at outcomes and care plans. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, those kind of things with Cleveland Clinic. We, you and I have been in this business a long time. I'm not ever remembering any kind of a scandal around the Cleveland Clinic in healthcare. No. I mean, you know, you? I'm, I'm, the listener might be able to look something up, but, yeah, but, I that, don't remember but that's anything. not what comes to mind, right? Yeah. You know, like I say, right. when, when Centene comes to mind, I, I'm going to exactly. tell you a story. Exactly. Cleveland Clinic comes to mind. Mm. It, it, it is quality health care that is based on good, strong data. Right. So, and, and you know, there are groups, there are, uh, there are big corporate yeah. groups that will yeah. only get their care. They'll, they'll take somebody, you brought up cardiac medicine. Right. They will fly right. somebody from Kansas Right. I'm just making up towns, yeah. you know, to Cleveland from Orlando to exactly. Cleveland exactly. because they have a process that that they know they're going to be able to care for this patient yeah. and their outcomes are going to be better. Costs yeah. are going to be lower because if your outcomes yeah. are good, right. your costs are lower. Well, the direction for this story for our listeners is if you happen to be in London and you get sick, go to the Cleveland Clinic. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. It, it is. But I tell you, the, the uh, other details of that are going to be interesting to me because it's not like you can just automatically leave uh, Cleveland and go work in the London hospital, right? There, you, there's certifications right, right, and right. registration and, and, yeah. and are they, are they hiring? Well, the, it's the medical program's quite different. The new hospital alone brought on 1150 new jobs. If in for, Cleveland, in, in, London, in Londoners, in London. Londoners, eleven hundred and fifty yeah, staff, right, for that hospital. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah. gonna. I don't yeah. know. You know, I don't know enough about the healthcare systems, the hospitals over there. Um, but I, it's kind of cool. I don't yeah. know. It, it's yeah. a, it's a little sense of uh, you know of of yeah. likeness that you that, that as you yeah. said, if you're yeah. in London and something like that comes comes mm-hmm. up and you see that name. Yep. But uh but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to follow yeah. that along. Yeah, yeah. Now you have you have a, a very good friend that, that we probably need to get on the show yeah, I to do. talk about this yeah. because he's he's an executive yeah. with Well he Cleveland used Clinic. to work at Parish Medical Center. Yep. He used to run, pretty much run that hospital on right. the contracting side. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Blue Cross for a couple of years. Right. And just this past year he moved to Cleveland from Tampa and he runs their entire contracting for both domestic and international yeah. for Cleveland. Clinic. So, so I'd love to very chat good with friend him of mine yeah. and and kind of learn more about this because I think I think it's going to be really really. We'll interesting. get him on the air. Yeah, yep. yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Sounds good. 
All right, Larry, and uh, we've got a couple of minutes to chat. We always uh, we've talked about private equity a good bit on this show, yeah, and about how there there's been an increase in private equity's involvement in medicine, even more so in acquisitions than even the hospital systems. Yes, in the yes. last year, in, in, in physician yeah. group acquisitions, yeah. right? Yeah, during the pandemic, it probably wasn't very healthy financially for hospitals to own physician practices. They, well, they yet, had a lot. They had a lot on their plate, right? They did. So, but yet, so they just but wasn't yet the these focus. equity houses haven't seemed to slow down trying to acquire no. these large practices. Exactly right. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and there, it's an interesting model because they do know how to manage money. They do yep. know how yep. to manage employees. They do. Yep. And and so if they come in and they have a group that's doing a pretty good job from a financial and fiduciary and they can they can just improve it by 20% on cost side right. then then they've got something that's going to make cash right? right well the greenberg advisors put out a healthcare investment report recently and there were three takeaways that talked about 2021 mergers and acquisitions in healthcare mm-hmm. and the first one is there were record shattering mergers and acquisition activity to the total of 27 billion dollars across 246 transactions this past year, Dr. Mark. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, that's just... That's some serious money. Well, that's some serious numbers, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 246 is. transactions. And yeah. so, you know, it'd be interesting to know how many patient lives were covered in those transactions. Exactly, exactly. And then the next one, 86% of these transactions involved entities that had revenue of over $50 million. Makes sense, yeah, because the they're going after uh, the big boys. Well, because yeah. it's a percentage game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. if you start start big, that definitely right. works. And then the third one is one of their direct targets were physician practices. Sure, and we've seen that in our own market. We have, and yeah. and actually, what we've seen in this market is there was a shift towards smaller practices. Yes, right. Yes, and so initially, uh, there were a couple things that changed. One was that. They, they kind of did a mathematics where they would take a physician group and say, okay, we're going to buy your practice. You're going to sign a, a five-year contract. Yeah, three to five years. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. so you're going to sign a five-year contract. Yep. Okay. And they're going to say, we're going to pay you a little bit less than you're currently making. But today, we're going to write you a check for seven times that amount exactly. of that delta, yeah. right? But then yep. that worked so well in these medium and small size practices. Mm-hmm. They came back and they just said, you know what? We're, you're going to sign a five-year contract. If you leave, you leave. We're still going to give you that money up front, right. and you're not going to make less right. because their management was so effective here in, in the state, actually in the yep. southeast, yep. one particular no, group agree. I'm thinking yep. about, yep. that they didn't have to. And, and it, was, it was funny because they also learned that the number one thing that kept doctors' groups from actually taking the deal mm-hmm was that calculation, thinking, okay, I've got to make a little less money, even though I'm going to get a large check right now. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm going to take a large check today. And so the physicians are not great financiers, and they don't necessarily understand the economics of money over time and how it earns, right? Yeah, well, there was one big group that came in and bought several practices in the Volusia County area, Mm -hmm. and then they expanded and bought a few practices up in Jacksonville, uh, and it's called Complete Health. And they've uh, they've become a fairly significant entity in this market. Well, and there there are definitely groups that jumped in that were more strict on investors 
and they didn't have as much success. Right. So, right. so you still have to tread lightly yep. in, in these in these areas, but uh, but there are a lot of interesting stories out there. Absolutely. Well, Larry, that about wraps up our day. It does. And uh, thank the listeners for tuning in, and uh, we will chat again next week. Great conversation, Doctor Mark. See you next week. Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Now. To find the answers you are looking for or have a question, you can reach Larry and Dr. Mark by emailing your questions and comments to follow us at healthcarenow.us. And we'll continue our discussion same time next week on navigating our complex healthcare system on Healthcare Now. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.